Good morning. Welcome to Okotoks Calvary Fellowship. Thank you for joining us as we study through God's Word. Okay. Well, I know how much you guys love fellowshipping, and that's why we look forward to March 12th, because I don't have to herd you back in here. You guys can spend as much time as you want fellowshipping uh, one with another. Well, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 4 as we continue our study this morning. And we've been following the life of this remarkable young man named Samuel who was dedicated to the Lord in a unique and powerful way before he was even born, who had been given to the Lord in service as a very young child. And he grew up and he served in the tabernacle precincts at Shiloh. And who the Lord was raising up into a place of prophetic leadership in Israel. And that was because of the spiritual leader leadership in Israel. It had become extremely evil and corrupt. And friends, God always has a plan and a purpose in every situation no matter how dark. And here in the midst of this spiritual darkness, God was raising up a shining light. So look at the beginning of of verse 1. It says, And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. So Samuel was now preaching and ministering to the entire nation of Israel. Well, let's continue here. It says, Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines, and encamped beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped in Aphek. Now, at this time, Israel was battling with a neighbor, and they were known as the Philistines. And the Philistines lived in that coastal area of what is now the land of Israel. If you want to kind of picture it in your mind, it would be like the Gaza Strip. And they had their settlements there, and they had their cities there, but the Philistines posed a unique challenge for the people of Israel for a lot of reasons. Much like today, the nation of Israel was surrounded by extremely hostile enemies. You had the Moabites, you had the Ammonites, you had the Edomites, and then, of course, you had these Philistines. Now, Israel could compete with the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Edomites on equal terms. They were sort of like equivalent kind of nations. But the Philistines, they were very different. Let me explain. The nation of the Philistines were a different sort of country altogether because, first of all, they were a seafaring people. They had their own harbors. They had their own seaports. And because of that, they were able to trade with people from all over the known world at the time, including people from the nation of Greece. And so as a seafaring nation, they were able to import a lot of things as well. And as a Philistine, you could just sort of open up this mail-order catalog of the ancient world. You know, think of them as the pre-internet version of, the, of Amazon. Ooh, I want these swords from Greece. Add to cart. <laughs> you know, they had access um, you know, they, they, they saw shields or things that they liked, they, or spears or helmets or iron-plated breastplates. 
So you can see that they had this amazing tactical advantage over Israel. They had access to the latest military technology. They had um, access to the latest um, you know, fighting equipment. And they were able to use this all very effectively. And so when Israel faced their other enemies, it was more or less on even terms. However, when they faced the Philistines, they were at a supreme disadvantage. And in those days, these two nations were battling back and forth, and at this time, the Philistines were really dominating the Israelites. And that leads us right into verse 2. It says, Then the Philistines put themselves in battle ray against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 men in the army in the field. Friends, you need to know that's an absolute military disaster here. You can't just keep going into a battle and losing 4,000 men and remain an army for very long, can you? And that only tells us how many men died. How many more were badly injured? So the nation of Israel was at a crisis point. And if this kept up, there would be no Israel. And they were just going to become part of this expanded Philistine empire. So what do you do in a time of crisis like this? Well, let's look what they did here. Verse 3. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes to us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh that they may bring from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. Now, I find it very interesting here because in one way, these elders actually did something very right here. They lose a battle, and they realize that the problem isn't just their military. They actually recognize that there is another dimension to this problem notice that they didn't say we need to bring in more reinforcements they didn't say we need to draft more people to our army they didn't say we need to adjust our tactics no they realized that this wasn't primarily a military problem they realized that this was a spiritual problem and they realized that something needed to be done in order to have God to fight with them, or even better, to have God fight for them, as he'd done many times before. So what they did there was right. However, how they went about getting God on their side, that was very wrong. You know, the Bible teaches us over and over again that when we want God on our side, what should we do? It says we should humble ourselves. It says we should repent before him. We should draw close to God. We should enthrone him in our lives. We should put God first. 
And everything else in our lives should become a far distant second. Friends, when you come to God in that attitude of true repentance, when you show that true remorse and mourning over your sin, and when you acknowledge it is you who have wandered away from Him, well, that's when God will turn His face towards you. And that is when the Lord will come to your aid. But the leaders of the nation of Israel, they didn't do that, did they? What did they do? They devised a plan. (laughs) They said, we need to get God on our side. We We need to bring out our secret weapon. We need to bring out the Ark of the Covenant. Now, thanks to Hollywood, the Ark of the Covenant is a pretty easy thing to talk about. Because many, if not most of you, have seen or at least heard of the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark. And that movie gives us a pretty accurate depiction of what the Ark itself looked like. It was a golden box with wooden poles on either side of it, and it was never to be carried by holding the box itself. No one was to touch it. And it was only to be carried by the poles it was mounted on. If you just want to look on the screen, there's a a depiction of what it may have uh, looked like. And on the inside, the ark contained many precious things. They contained the stone tablets, which the Ten Commandments, which had been inscribed by the finger of God, were, were in there. They had a pot of manna, the, the food that God had miraculously provided for them in the wilderness. There inside was Aaron's rod, which was used by Moses to perform many miracles bef- um, during the uh, exodus. And one of the most remarkable features on the Ark of the Covenant was its lid. The lid itself was pure gold, and on top of that lid were artistic designs of cherubim. And this spoke to what the Ark of the Covenant represented. It represented the physical example of the throne of God on earth. The Ark was a symbol of the active presence of God in the midst of of Israel. Now you would think that something like this that held such historical significance to them, which held such spiritual importance, would live in a king's palace or would be safely stowed away in a museum somewhere, but instead it was kept in the tabernacle, the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And if you look on the screen, you'll see an image of what that tabernacle would have looked like. You, uh, it was in the center, and it was uh, surrounded by the encampments of the 12 tribes. Now, in the house of the Lord itself, there was this outer court. And you could go in there if you had business to do there. In other words, if you were offering a sacrifice, then you were allowed to go in to the inner court there. And so you see this tent-like structure, though, that's inside the tabernacle. That was the holy place. And if you look at the, the next image, you'll see the actual layout 
of what it looked like. And you'll notice from the second um, image there on the inside that it was divided into two parts. You had the holy place, and then you had what they have written there as the most holy place, or we know it as the holiest of holies. And if you were a priest, you could go into the holy place each day to burn incense. And the burning incense represented the prayers of God's people rising to heaven. But then you see there's that division that's separated by a veil or a curtain. And behind that veil was the holiest of holies. That that is where the ark was kept. And nobody was ever allowed into this area except for the high priest. And he was only allowed to go one day of the year on the Day of Atonement. And on that day, the high priest would enter this room with the sacrificial blood, which he would sprinkle upon the Ark of the Covenant to provide atonement for the sins of the nation of Israel. So friends, you can see what an awesome thing the Ark of the Covenant was. It was not something to be trifled with. It was a holy article of God. It was far more than merely a sacred relic. It was the representation of the presence of God in their midst. Now the elders of Israel, they were recognizing that they needed help from God to win the battle. And they were right in turning to the Lord, but they really weren't turning to the Lord, were they? No, they were actually turning to the ark for their salvation. And instead of humbly repenting and seeking God, they turned to methods God had not instructed them to use. And they believed that the presence of the ark would force God's hand to work for them. They thought they could move or maneuver God into a position where he had to help, like a genie in a bottle. After all, God's not going to allow his ark to get lost. God's not going to lose a battle when his ark is out there. And so these leaders believed that they had man manufactured a no-lose scenario. But friends, it really was just vain superstition. It was just a holy good luck charm. Instead of the ark being the holy presence of God in their midst, it was just like a giant's rabbit's foot for all they cared. Now if you look at verse 4 again, did you notice who was carrying the ark? It was Hophni and Phinehas who were entrusted with the care of the ark. These two men that we were told God is going to judge. I mean, what could possibly go wrong here? Well, take a look what happens in verse 5. It says, And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. Isn't that just marvelous? Man, are they excited now or what? They're in the camp of Israel. They're all pumped up. They've got this huge morale boost that is just injected into their system. Like they're, they were pumped. I mean, think about it for a moment. What did we see in verse 2? 
They just spent days burying the dead. I mean, it takes a long time to bury 4,000 men, doesn't it? They've taken care of the wounded. They're all discouraged. They're all depressed. They're thinking the Philistines are about to defeat them again. Their situation is absolutely hopeless. But then someone points to the direction of the hills and they see these priests in their ceremonial white garments. And they see this procession marching towards them and they notice that they're carrying something. Now none of these men would have ever seen the Ark of the Covenant before because it was safely set away in the Holy of Holies. But I guarantee you that they had heard about it and they knew what the description of it was. And maybe they had even heard whisperings in the camp from the generals that it was coming. And so when they saw the priest approaching, they went crazy. There was excitement and great celebration in the camp. There were shouts of triumph and victory, so much so that the ground shook. And I'm sure they all thought, surely we're going to win this battle now. Surely God is with us. Surely God is on our side. Surely the Lord is going to do a great work in our midst. But friends, I'm here to tell you that the Lord wasn't doing anything here. There was nothing spiritual about this at all. This was carnality. It was not God. You know, if we were able to walk by there at this particular moment as it was happening, you would have probably thought, man, look how excited they are. Look how joyful they are. Listen to their victorious demonstrations of celebration. The Lord must be really on their side. And we often make the same mistake regarding some church services, don't we? But friends, for all of the appearance, it was really nothing because for all the noise, for all of the excitement, it was really nothing because it wasn't grounded in God's truth. God's work must be done God's way. If not, we just get in the way and we mess it all up. So all that shouting and excitement in the camp of the Israelites all meant nothing. Well, now look what, what was happening in the camp of the Philistines. Verse 6. Now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid and they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods. These are gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Well, first of all, I want to compliment the Philistines before I correct them here. I want to compliment them on their knowledge of the Bible. They knew that the Ark of the Covenant represented 
the presence of the Lord. They knew it was unusual for the ark to be brought into the camp of the Lord. They knew that the Lord had smote the people of Egypt with plagues, and they were a bit confused, saying that it happened in the wilderness. But hey, close enough. I mean, did you know all those details about the ark or the plagues? Could it be that the Philistines know more about their Bibles than you do? So maybe the Philistines deserve a little bit of recognition and credit here. But on the other hand, the Philistines fell very short in a very important area here. Because we see something remarkable here in these uh, verses. Did you see it? Notice that they, that the, the, um, the God of Israel is greater than their gods. Because if there wasn't that recognition, why would they even need to be afraid? But when they believe that the God of Israel has come into the camp, they're afraid. And they recognize the greatness of the God of Israel. But what do they fail to do? They, won't they, they say the God's better, but they won't submit to him. They say, well, we know you're great. We know you're mighty. We know you're sovereign. We know you're greater than any of our gods, but we will still not bow our knee before you. We're just going to stick to our own gods, thank you very much. And how often are we stubborn like that? We know what's right, but we don't do it. Friends, the Philistines knew the right facts about God, but they wouldn't submit their hearts to him. And could, it could be that there are some that are like that here th with us this morning or watching in. You know, I know I'm like that sometimes. I know the facts. I know the truth about God. I don't need to know him more on an intellectual level. It's a heart submission attitude. And that's the area that the Lord wants to deal with you and with me on. But even though the Philistines were afraid, they also show a lot of courage. Look at verse 9. It says, Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews. As they have been to you, conduct yourselves like men and fight. The Phil Philistines, they feel like they're backed into a corner. They're, they're like a cornered animal. And they're going to fight all the more. They're going to muster up all the courage that they have that only comes from that level of desperation. And they're ready to fight and give it their all. And they're going to do something incredible here through their courage and persistence and my friends it's so important for us to learn a lesson from this and it's that even in the midst of an incredibly intense and desperate battle god can do something great when we show courage and persistence and i think a lot of christians need to really heed the words of these Philistines here. They need to show that same kind of willingness to fight and to battle forth. Don't be discouraged. Don't give up. 
battle on. Give it your all. Press forward. Because many battles are fought through courage and persistence. And even when they're not fighting for the right thing. Well, let's see how the battle turns out. Verse 10, it says, So the Philistines fought, and, the, and Israel was defeated, and every man fled to his tent. And there was a great slaughter, and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Also the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. You know, this is just a classic case of things going from bad to worse, from worse to even worse, and from even worse to worst. <laughs> I mean, verse 10 tells us the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated. That's bad. Look, it would have been a defeat even if they had fought to a draw. I mean, after all, they had the ark with them. Not only should they win, they should win big. But not only did they not win or even draw, it tells us that they lost badly. And I think you could say that they lost because the Philistines were fighting extra hard, right? They fought with desperation and courage like you would, like an, like an underdog would. But I really think the Israelites were way too overconfident going into the battle. And they probably thought, they wouldn't even really have to fight. And so they didn't prepare and they didn't focus for the battle because look, we've got the ark and they don't. Will somebody go off and make some popcorn so we can watch God wipe them out? You know, I think sometimes we as Christians fall under that same delusion. Sometimes we as Christians believe if God is on our side, it's just going to be easy. And sometimes we judge whether God is on our side by whether it's easy or it's hard. If it's hard, God isn't with me. If it's easy, then it must be of the Lord. Let me tell you something. Sometimes when you're right smack in the middle of God's will, it's going to be very hard. It may even be the hardest you've ever experienced. And sometimes when everything's easy, that's when you're doing exactly what the devil wants you to do. So friends, don't make the mistake of trying to judge whether something is in the will of God by whether or not it's hard or easy. Whether or not it feels right to you. So I do think they lost because the Philistines fought with desperation and because the Israelites were too overconfident. But I think the real reason they lost is because God did not feel obligated to bless the Israelites, even though they had the Ark of the Covenant there. Look, the Israelites thought they had God backed into a corner. God isn't going to let the Ark of the Covenant get conquered. No way. God's going to fight for us. But God said, not so fast. You're not going to manipulate me. And so God didn't fight with them or for them. And as we can see, the result was devastating. 
You know, friends, you may be very, very good at manipulating people. You may be very good at using guilt and pressure. You may be very good at utilizing intimidation or fear. You may be very good at getting people to do what you want them to do. But just know this. You will never manipulate God. It just won't happen. Well, it was bad that Israel was defeated. But it went from bad to worse. Verse 10 tells us how many soldiers died in this battle. What does it say? 30,000. That's worse. I mean, remember the battle that got them all panicked at the beginning of this chapter. 4,000 were killed. But now 30,000 were killed. That's over seven times the number of dead. It's horrible. But God is teaching them a powerful lesson by showing them, look, you're not going to manipulate me. You're not going to use me like I'm some rabbit's foot. You're not going to trust in superstition while under the delusion that you're trusting me. I'm not going to let this happen. I'm your God, not your good luck charm. So God let them fight the battle on their own. And not only were they defeated, they were Well, you can see it went from bad to worse, and now it's going to get even worse. I mean, Israel was just defeated, and they lost 30,000 men. I mean, you could say, what could be worse than that? Well, look at verse 11. It says, the Ark of the Covenant was captured. Okay, that's worse. (laughs) The very thing that they thought would win them the battle was taken away. But my friends, do you understand what the real problem was here? Israel had made an idol out of the ark. God is not very kind to idols, is he? If you make an idol of something, God has a way of taking it away. And that is exactly what he did here. And friends, this is often how God breaks us of our idolatry, by taking the idol away. Did you know that we can make good things into idols? I mean, was the ark of God a good thing? Absolutely. God had commanded them to build the ark. God had commanded them to put these specific articles within the ark. It was an essential piece of their worship. Yet even a good thing like the ark can be made into an idol. And God will not tolerate our idols. And so he allowed the ark of God to be captured. I heard this phrase, and it would be good to remember it. A good thing can become a bad thing when it keeps you from the best thing. A good thing can become a bad thing when it keeps you from the best thing. Well, Could it get any worse? Yes. From bad to worse to even worse, now to worse. Look at the end of verse 11. It says that Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are killed. These two wicked priests who were supposed to supervise the ark, 
They were killed in the battle. Both of them on the same day, I might add. And you may remember from a couple weeks back, it was prophesied just that way, that judgment would come upon these two sons in one day and now. It's been fulfilled. Now, I know it would be easy for us to leave here this morning thinking that the problem was that they took the ark of God into battle. Should never do that. But the funny thing about that is that when you look back through the history of Israel, you find that they took the ark into battle on other occasions and were blessed. You look at the battle of Jericho. They marched around the city with the ark. The ark led the way when the Israels battled the Midianites under Moses. And later on from this date, we'll see that Saul, in the days of Saul, he took the ark into battle on a number of occasions. And they were all victorious. You see, it's not a matter that you should never take the ark of God into battle. It's a matter of you shouldn't do it unless the Lord tells you to. And my friends, there are some things that we can do in our lives that really come off as schemes, as plans, as programs, as attempts to just twist God's arm. Let me explain it to you this way. Would there be anything wrong with fasting and praying for five days? Absolutely not. As long as it's led by the Lord. But okay, let's say, you know, I really want God to do this. I really want a new car. I really need this new car. So I'm going to, emphasis on I'm going to, to fast and pray for five days so that God would give me the new car. And then you fast and you pray for five days, but the car never comes. Is there anything wrong with fasting and praying? No. But you didn't pray on the direction of the Lord. You did it as a plan. You did it as a program. You did it as a scheme for your own self. So one person can do something and another person can do the same thing, but one of them is led by God and the other one is led by the flesh. One of them has a human plan, a human scheme, a human program, and they just hope that God blesses them along the way. Well, the other one is really led by the Lord, and that's why God will bless one and not bless the other. You see, my friends, that is what God is leading us to do this morning, to live in this kind of constant trust and dependence on Him, to not focus on the ark of God, to not focus on some religious relic or religious superstition, but to focus on the God of the ark, to focus on him. And that's a tall order, isn't it? So we better pray right now and ask the Holy Spirit to work that 
in us. Let's pray. Father, we know that you have a plan and a purpose for each one of us. Lord, that you've raised us up, you've drawn us to yourself for such a time as this. And Lord, we need to be desperate for you. We need to be desperate to seek your face and to be in close contact and relationship with you as you lead us step by step, following your still small voice. Lord, help us not to get distracted, not to think that we can fix things. We can see the problems that are going on outside these doors, lives that are hurting, and think that we can fix them by our plans and our schemes. Lord, only you can change the heart through the power of your Holy Spirit. So Lord, help us to have that single-minded focus on what your will is. That we're praying as you said in the Lord's Prayer that your will be done, not my will be done. Lord, that we don't look at you as some you know, spiritual genie in the sky that is there just to make our lives happier or easier. Lord, help us to realize that we need to repent before you. We need to recognize that we can't and you can. Lord, help us to be desperate for you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening. If you guys have any questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to message us on our Facebook page or on Instagram. God bless.